0: Hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between, my name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. I thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation. It's an embarrassment of riches. There's so many fantastic people who want to uh, have these conversations that live at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. Uh, Do me a favor, however you're consuming this podcast, uh, please leave me a like or a review or maybe even a comment. I'm really pushing to uh, grow the podcast and YouTube channel this year. I got some uh, great ideas that I want to implement to bring you all some wonderful, wonderful material. So I would deeply appreciate it uh, if you subscribed and did all that kind stuff. And, uh, you know, just help me out by sharing this video as much as you possibly can. If you love it, share it with your friends. If you hate it, as always, share it with your enemies. Now, all that said, um, I don't know how you all feel, but uh, things uh, seem a bit crazy these days. Uh, We got infrastructure breakdowns and crime and endless racial tension in the states, you got an energy crisis in Europe and people are talking about an economic collapse. And then to top it all off, a fucking war breaks out, um, out east. And um, that war became the subject of a video call with my current guest. And that conversation became about um, a lot more than the war. And I, I left thinking, about how to build a better future, you know we talk a lot about and people that built fortunes, um, complaining about the problems of, of now, but it seems to me one of the biggest problems that we face crises, if you will is the lack of a positive vision for the future and uh, few people are as qualified and uniquely positioned to comment on what's at stake and what we stand to lose and um, how we can build a better future than my current guest who is a comedian and essayist a best-selling author excuse me and along with the wonderful francis foster he's the co-host of the incredibly popular Trigger Nometry podcast frankly i'm not sure that uh, we deserve this guy this is constantine kissin um a who i i, I think i can i can call a friend I, I i feel privileged uh to to do so how are you mr kissin
1: i'm very good man and then to to racialize the conversation straight away only a black man can pull off a leather beret so congratulations <laughs> to you my friend you are crushing it for that thing well, <laughs> it is awesome know.
0: I, I I appreciate it. You know, this is the second one I, ha- I had to buy. It's actually kind of embarrassing. There was a, um, I saw it in a store, I think it's like 120 bucks. And I went to go see some movie in Manhattan. And I I think it was a Marvel movie as well. So like, you're, you know, a grown man going to see this, this some superhero film by himself. And is but you know, w- with a slick new hat. And I get out of the theater and I uh, I just went like this and I realized the hat was gone and um, so somehow I left my brand new hat in inside this movie theater and uh you know and it was funny because I didn't want to go back to the same shop that I bought it from so I went to a different luckily they had a a different location for that same store so I bought the same hat again again (laughs) the next day so this is that
1: hat um I see that is a metaphor for determination right there Clifton you were not willing to live without the hat well, I, I guard it with my life. I guard it with my life. But
0: uh, you know, I, you, you've been such a busy, busy uh, guy lately. Um, congrats on your Oxford Union speech, uh, which has uh, been seen by the entire world at this point. Um, You—it's like Gandhi I don't know. Style about I think there's Lu. a
1: billion Chinese people who literally don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I well, I was well. I was going to say, yeah. I think it's. I think uh, in terms of most viewed videos, there's like Gangnam Style, and then there's uh, then there's your uni- Oxford Union speech. But uh, the most important and pressing question I have for you is, uh, how is being a dad, and how much sleep do you think you've gotten uh, on average <laughs> since? Well, since the, the
1: answers before. to your questions, your two questions, will seem extremely contradictory. In that, being a dad is awesome, and I'm really not getting a lot of sleep. Uh, so it's 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 a weird combination but it it's uh it's amazing man um it is absolutely incredible i'm loving being a dad um <clears throat> it, it it's changed my life completely how i look at the world i mean it hasn't changed it completely but i think it's actually reinforced a lot of the things that i always believed and made me think um that you know they're even more important than i already thought uh yeah i think in the past i I thought about many of the things that you and I talk about as somewhat abstract, because to, to a large extent they were. Uh, but now the future has a face and has a name and is right there crawling around in front of me and pooping its pants. So, like, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking more about a, a, a you know, the, the conversation you and I had privately, uh, where it ended up, which is a positive vision for the future. I think that's really essential. Um, and it's turned my mind to many other things that I've been thinking about more as a result. So, yeah, absolutely amazing experience. I'm really enjoying it. Probably going to have, have, have as many more as, as I can fit in before I get old, uh, which I'm well on my way towards. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it, it it happens to most of us, so uh, don't don't fret. But it's it's mm-hmm. interesting because every – Every new dad that I that I know that I that I meet or that's been in my circle or my network has said pretty much along the same things that, that that you did, which is that you know it's it's totally changed my life. It's upended everything. It's super stressful, and I'm not sleeping, and I'm tired. But it's the best thing in the world. It's absolutely the best thing in the world. And um, and it was funny because my follow up was going to be, you know, has it changed your perspective? On on the world and on life, and I know for myself, the the older that I get, I, I chose not to have uh, kids till, till I was established, and then the whole world turned upside down. So it's a little bit of a setback, but you know, I I, I still. You know, I, I spent so much time, especially when I was in actor training, just kind of hating children because they sort of are the embodiment of everything that we want to be as artists. You know, they're, they're so childlike and they're innocent, even physically, you know, their posture is perfect. Even they got they got these big fat heads, but they still, you know, are, are balanced uh, perfectly. And um, and I, I just I look at them now and I think to myself, well, what do we have to offer to them? Um, sure. You know, you see, there was a clip the other day of one of our um, senators, uh, Barbara Feinstein, I believe her name is, who is a Californian senator. So right there, you know, something's going to be a little bit uh, off, out of whack. And these little kids are talking, these girls, you know, about middle school age, you know, preteen, pre, you know, right, adolescent maybe. And they're just saying to her, well, you know, the earth is going to this, this climate catastrophe is going to end and it's going to end everything and yada, yada, yada. And, and to me, I'm like, this, this seems to me like the left-wing version of, you know, all the Jesus camp indoctrination that we were so afraid of, um, mm-hmm. when, you know, during the Bush years. And, um, so I, I'm glad you brought that up during your Oxford union speech, but, uh, but this idea of, we have all this outrage, uh, but then you look at the statistics of suicide and depression and anxiety, and it doesn't seem to be helping at all. And, so I'm glad that you're one of the few people who seem to be on, the, on that wavelength of like, we need something better, guys.
1: I think you're right. I, I, I don't know that – I I think I, – I don't believe that concern about the climate, although that is definitely on the rise, is the main driver of anxiety and depression and kids, I think. Well, just
0: as, as one element of a large. That's an
1: element for sure. Issue. I think that yeah. there's a lot more going on, which is – you know, you you know all this better than I do, the atomization of society, the breakdown of the family, social media, uh, you know, all of this stuff that is affecting how kids think about the world and how they see themselves and their role in the world, et cetera. Uh, the fact that they spend more time on screens and less time playing outside than you and I would have done, et cetera. I think that's that's a, a lot of what's driving it. Uh, but the the reason I brought up climate change in the speech was to illustrate the point that, If you care about things that you think are important, what are you actually doing about it? Because most of what I see young people doing is whining about it, which I don't think is going to really fix the problem. And it's part of a very disempowering victimhood mentality that is being increasingly pushed on young people. Uh, Ethnic minorities are particularly uh, prime targets for this, which is you can't really do anything. You've got to complain for the master to change things that to me doesn't seem like a healthy way of looking at things. You know what I mean? And particularly with young people who are, whether we like it or not, going to be running the world 20 years from now. And so I kind of felt it was important that somebody mentioned to them that they you actually have a role to play in what's coming. It's not just, you know, let's get the adults in the room to do things differently. And it, I also think that it's kind of, it's very easy to have these kids you know, Greta Thunberg is a very good example of this, which is it's like a a pass for the adults to sort of be, you know, slapped down and told that, you know, how dare you and all of this and not really have to do a lot, uh, I don't think, you know, whereas the solutions to the world's problems, whatever you think they are, whether you think it's climate change or whether you think it's resource depletion or whether you think it's, you know, nuclear war or whatever, these are all things that have solutions that you have to work out long and hard together with hundreds of thousands of other people in order to attempt to solve them. Um, And that is a much more unpleasant message to young people, I think, than, you know, just wind your way to success or wind your way to whatever outcome you want, but it is the one they need to hit.
0: It is, you know, and there, there's a, there's an element where any sort of, And you mentioned this as well, but, you know, I think I'm thinking more and more on how we are victims of our own success and victims of our own uh, privilege, if you will. Mm. And, um, And I think it's also interesting in terms of my dare i say our generation in terms you know what the world was before internet uh, internet and social media exploded versus what it is now um you know i I said before that i just back you know go back a little bit to what you were talking about in terms of atomization it's so bizarre to me that uh, i feel like i grew up in an era where I was able to benefit from all of the um the sacrifices and struggles of the people who came before me only to watch as the so-called progressives resegregate society. Mm. <laughs> it's the, it's the strangest thing. And uh, it it's a, it's a tragedy to me because I think, you know, this should be theoretically the best time to be alive, but maybe that's the double-edged sword. Is that it's the best time to be alive so we find the worst things to complain about. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I the the biggest aspect of, of the the cultural conversation that absolutely does my head in. And you know, we import it in the UK from you guys over there, but it it's it's the re-racialization of society. And I you said it at the beginning of my speech that uh the, the wokeness seeks to introduce uh this racial segregation that to me is a new form of racism that all sane people should oppose and it worries me tremendously that and particularly you've got to think about it Clifton as well like society is becoming more certainly western societies are becoming more racially diverse uh now why would you want to combine that with an increased focus on race that does not seem to me to be a healthy answer to to these questions i don't really see how that creates the sort of thing that you would want to have in a multi the more multi-ethnic the society the more people's individual ethnic identity should should be encouraged to be unimportant and the collective identity of we're all americans or we're all british or we're all english speakers or we're all westerners whatever that is uh that collective identity becomes to me much more important as a healthier way to look at ourselves and as members of our society so I couldn't agree with you more. I think the re-racialization of society is the single most important reason to oppose all of this uh, cultural nonsense that's being pushed on us, uh, and that's why I've been doing my bit on it as well, as a view.
0: Well, here's well here's what's so difficult about that though. And I, I wrote down the word assimilation or assimilationism, mm. and part of and this is why I I try not to get too dour about these things. But you're talking about generations now. I'm I'm, I'm talking specifically about racial issues um, mm. where the concept of I mean, what what you're saying, in the broader sense, I think is important in terms of, um, you know, the having a more collective identity. But the problem with that now is that now that having that goal has been recharacterized for generations now. I mean, we we call it woke now, but it was still it was very present, you know, even when I was a kid before we had a name for any of this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, This idea that well, if you assimilate, or if you integrate into society, that is you erasing an element of who you truly are. So it's just another element of the white man trying to conquer you. And that this is why I, I say it's it's really tough because you can have all of the, the arguments. I mean, I, I, I can't think of anything more damning to what they're doing now than the fact that they're creating a society, as you referenced, that um, is, is making the it's going to make the the right wing have or the far right have a point when they talk about mm-hmm. how multiculturalism does not work and um you know because but clifton
1: sorry to interrupt multiculturalism does not work and we should be very clear about that multiculturalism is the idea that people of different cultures and religions and ethnicities can coexist in the same physical space while maintaining complete lack of integration with each other it does not work we should be very clear about that people of different groups do not live well together Uh, In that sort of environment, uh, unless there is an overarching tyrannical force that keeps them there. Uh, This is what happened in Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and then the Soviet Union, and and wherever else you want, where someone comes in and kills all the dissenters, and then people of different ethnicities can live (laughs) together while maintaining their cultural identity. If you want a peaceful society without tyranny, sorry, we have to integrate with each other. And the idea that you and I cannot connect because by you connecting, you give up a part of your authentic self and I give up a part of me is bullshit and we should be able to call it out. It is just garbage. It's nonsense. It's not true. Uh, Human beings are connected together by way more than the, the pigmentation and the skin color and so on. And I believe I have much more of a connection with you because of the way that you and I think than I do with the vast majority of russians where i come from or jewish people which is my ethnicity or british people which is my adopted identity or anything else right because you and i think alike and we have a certain way of doing things that is what connects human beings and the attempt to focus and force us to focus on asking color and ethnicity is going to create a lot of the problems that you just reference and the far enabling the far right is one of them uh, enabling these crazy idiots on the far left is another one of them and causing ethnic and racial tensions between people who'd never have racial tensions between them. Cause it wouldn't occur to them. Uh, you know, in the UK, we really don't have the same conversation about race that you guys do, but people still replicate. They still engage in the same behavior. And I always use this example. I, I did this when we were on Rogan shows like, you know, in the summer of BLM, we had protesters here in London going hands up, don't shoot in front of police officers who don't carry guns, guns right <laughs> and so and and the point is this is like cultural crap that is being spread around the world and people adopt it because it makes them feel good it feels good in modern society to be a victim, it feels good to complain it feels good to raise these issues in a way that it never would have occurred to people if it hadn't been for this cultural movement, so we just got to oppose a man and and you and I standing up in our own respective ways and saying no I'm from an ethnic minority background I don't buy into this, Uh, this is not the way, and by the way, the, the people who will be most harmed by this way of doing business will be minorities yeah. Uh, inevitably, inevitably, they are going to be the ones that are targeted. They're going to be the ones that are suffer suffer. So, it, it behooves all of us, I think, to speak out against it.
0: Well, this is where, um, and I've done this for several of my, my British guests on this show, uh, I, I need to apologize uh, <laughs> because um, it, it just seems that whatever it is that we flush down the cultural toilet over here, it just it somehow bubbles up on the other side of the pond.
1: We get served on our plate <laughs> down here, yeah. <laughs> so I, I
0: have no idea how, it, how, that, how that works and how it happens. Uh, but uh, I, as an American, I, I just, I feel bad about that.
1: It's a testament to the power of American culture more than anything. Uh, You know, this is why it's power that must be wielded with great care, because what happens in America doesn't stay in America. It affects the rest of the world, particularly the Anglosphere, but beyond, too. Um, And that's why, you know, uh, I sometimes find it weird that we find ourselves on trigonometry talking about American issues. But you're kind of going, well, Everything you do, we end up having, you know, initially it was 10 years later. Then it became five years later. Now it's about 10 minutes later. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's it's a testament to the power of Hollywood, the power of social media, the power of cultural programming that you guys put out. You know, more people in the UK would have watched Friends than almost any British show in the history of this country, you know. So, yeah, what you, what, what happens in America really matters for sure.
0: Well it's interesting because there's this concept uh, that I was tinkering with sometime in the wee hours of the morning about American exceptionalism and mm. in in left-wing circles when you when you mention that um, it's sort of I won't say it's quite a four-letter word but it's but I thought about it in terms of you know my wheelhouse which is the arts and I'm thinking to myself yes I mean how can you how can you say that America is not exceptional just with the cultural I mean, you know, Hollywood or I mean, hip hop became a worldwide phenomenon. It's created by a bunch of poor people, uh, minorities and the Bronx and Queens and Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 really an amazing story. Um, So so many cultural issues. I mean, our, our athletes and the, the I mean, it's 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 tough for me to hear people say. And again, I think this is this goes back in the way of focusing on the more positive aspects of our society and and providing people with a more positive vision, which is like, yes, you know, um, you know, you may think that American exceptionalism, uh, you know, is some sort of dog whistle for our racist past and our imperialist, uh, you know, present. Um, But at the same time, you know, I I, I feel like other countries are sort of annoyed that America is so influential at this point, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's kind of an exceptional place to be
1: in. Well, it's true. And by the way, I'm going to let you on a little secret, Clifton. Uh, Other great civilizations also think that they're exceptional. Uh, This isn't... (laughs) Just like other great civilizations had slavery, by the way, right? Like, uh, there is this narrative it's kind of interesting isn't it on on the on particularly on the work left but elsewhere too where they they are I actually envy them tremendously because they are exceptionally good at holding contradictory ideas in the head at the same time so on the one hand, America is not exceptional on the other hand everything america did did is uniquely evil, whereas if you actually look at history, you realize it's not unique and it it's just as evil as everybody else right um but uh, but it doesn't seem to enter their head so You think the Russians don't think that they are somehow special and have a special mission in the world? Well, guess what they do? The Chinese. I mean, you can go down the list. All great civilizations conceive of themselves as being exceptional one way or another. There's nothing new or special about it. Um, And so uh, I'm not really I mean, I, I don't really find it an important argument to have personally, because I think, uh as i say all civilizations have their strengths and weaknesses and things that they're better at than others and uh america is most guilty of being successful as is the west i mean that is really the thing you know that intense guilt that is being uh imposed upon us uh from within and from without uh it's a product simply of the fact that we were able to do the things that everybody else was doing slightly better using slightly better technology and i'm so i'm not really that concerned with it what i think you're right to to raise is what is the positive vision of the future and i notice that it's kind of popping up everywhere uh, jordan peterson has a, th- a project about it and almost everyone i talk to um it, well when i say to them look guys you know woke is dumb we all know work is dumb right anti-woke increasingly is dumb and i look at anti-woke people and what being anti-woke for a long time does to their brains and i'm going like you guys have been staring into this abyss for too long so what is the future and i sort of think we need to start charting a post work future and the That task is very difficult because saying a lot of the things that will unite us has now become associated with being anti-woke or being right-wing. So you have to find a positive way of framing these things because anti-woke is in the name. It, it's increasingly destructive and lacking in, in in positivity and a vision for the future. But, um, you know, Jordan Peterson had me on his podcast and we talked about this and he had like eight or nine rules for generally the sort of things that will make you a happy and healthy human being. And I think we have to start thinking about what it is that makes for a healthy society. And I think one of them we've already talked about, which is a healthy attitude to, to the the fact that we are multi-ethnic societies. And, And that means we come together around a set of shared values. The idea that, you know, we're all British or we're all American. I think that's really important for holding society together. And there are other things too. I mean, But the main one, I think, is rather than talking so much about it, we have to start creating and building alternative institutions that embody these values. So, for example, I don't think anyone really particularly wants to see woke Hollywood I also, by the way, don't think that people really want to go out, you know, the majority of the general public want to go out and watch a movie about how critical race theory is stupid, like, that's not really wholesome (laughs) family entertainment, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people care that much about it, what they'd like to see, I think is good quality entertainment that isn't compromised by excessive obsessions with race or diversity or whatever, and focuses on high quality entertainment with the sort of allegorical stories that all human entertainment has always been about, which is human triumph over adversity, working together to overcome some kind of common enemy. All of these things that, you know, this is what people have watched and enjoyed and read and and whatever for, 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 for millennia. Uh, and if you go back to the campfires of the hunter gatherers they would be telling stories about you know going out to a hunt and being attacked by a tiger and someone got killed but the rest of them made it and they brought back the trophy and you know the women celebrated and you know like that that would be the story that they'd be talking about right and within that would be built certain ideas about human uh the relationships between men and women and the relationships between human beings and nature and all of these things and these were things that we universally understood about three minutes ago so it's not not like we have to we have to reinvent the wheel particularly we just have to stop pretending we have forgotten what a wheel looks like for a start (laughs) um and that just that is entertainment but then you've got media and again this is where you know i think both sides are starting to go off the deep end and you have to bring it back and uh look at do we have to be constantly shouting at each other in this particular way, you know, the libs are transing the kids. Well, yes, the transgender movement and gender ideology is a bit of a problem. Are all libs transing all the kids? Because that's the impression I'm getting if I watch, you know, certain elements of the Daily Wire. And equally, you know, is is the far right on the march and are about to take over because Brexit happened or because Donald Trump got elected? Well, I don't think so. Right. So we have to start dialing back some of that on both sides and and, and talking in a little bit more of a constructive way about media events uh and there we could go on but the, the main point i'm making is you know in your world in in comedy again you know in comedy do you want a comedian you know breaking down why trans is funny for 10 minutes on stage i don't think so i don't think so clifton i don't think many people want that i think they just want to go and see a comedy show when someone's talking about funny stuff without self censoring which is increasingly what happens Likewise, with acting, I don't think we want to see really talented actors like you, you know, be canceled out of the acting industry for the wrong thing. I just think we want to see great acting and great great plays and great movies. And, and that, I think, is, is the way forward. Now, it's not currently going to happen because the institutions have been completely captured. Uh, and so the question is, how do we work out an answer to that? And it starts with alternative institutions. And we're already building the alternative media of the future you know, Joe Rogan is the biggest media outlet in the world. Trigonometry is, is has a, a big audience now. And uh, that has always been our aim to provide an alternative source of, of content for people where they can be entertained and educated as, as we are educated by the conversations we have. Uh, so uh, the process has already started. It's going to be a slow build, but that is what I believe needs to happen.
0: Yeah. It's so fascinating. um I, I think also it's sort of the the tumult of the past few years with uh, with the pandemic and the virus and everything has sort of accelerated uh, maybe some trends that were already happening. I mean, I know this is at least. Oof, maybe going almost a decade ago or so, where I had friends who would say, well, you know, I went in, I screen tested for this role, but they gave it to, you know, some bitch with 2 million Twitter followers, or, you know, or there's some unboxer now who has the job that I was up for and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that could be you guys, you know, you're the ones with the training, you're the ones who are the professionals but in in these institutions, I call it the machine. Sometimes there's this attitude towards this, you know, the alternative, alternative space, alternative media, whatever you want to call it. Um, they think that they are above such things. Oh, that that person is a YouTuber. That person, you know, is mm. a podcaster or whatever. But just as you said, people like Joe Rogan. Um, I'd throw Tim Pool in there as well. Uh, you guys, Jordan. I mean, they're, they. It's it's fantastic to see that, despite there's the, there's this strange realm where these people who you know they live in the bubble this is where they see the celebrities and all the media figures and pundits and everything and they think that they are the tastemakers but now we can see we we can see them trying to build you know make these tastes while at the same time joe rogan is super popular and people are watching what he's doing and so it 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 also begs the question of like what is popular culture now and mm-hmm. you know who is who is really um, who is really in control and shifting things. And I, what I love now is that there is an apparatus, as you were saying, that's being built, that uh, now you don't need, you know, you don't need to gatekeep. I mean, I, I say, um, I joke all the time now that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more, of, not that I'm a fame whore, uh, you know, people who seek fame, you know, and this is kind of funny, going back to what you're saying about, you know, the sort of woke and anti-woke crowds where, mm-hmm you know, we've sit there, we come from industries filled with crazy people trying to be famous. And Mm -hmm. now in the alternative space and the content creator space and influencer space, I see a lot of the same kind of stuff. And I'm like, come on, Mm -hmm. calm, calm, calm down, guys. But it's cool to be in in this sort of new machine now where I've I've become more famous for not being able to act (laughs) than (laughs) than I have um, as an actor. And at a certain point, I, I feel like Yeah, you know, maybe I don't need that machine anymore. And I hope that, you know, that we can inspire other people, other artists who have the training, who have the chops, but who are sick of what's going on, which I think is happening, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to build something new that people can really enjoy that's outside of these crumbling institutions.
1: That's right. And um, by the way, on your initial point about, you know, just so someone having Twitter followers or whatever, it's not just happening in, in our world of comedy and uh, and our acting and art and whatever. It's happening in, in much more real things. I mean, I was last Saturday night, I was watching uh, Jake Paul fight Tommy Fury in Saudi Arabia. Right, uh, Jake Paul's a YouTuber, right? Mike Tyson is sitting in the front row.
0: Logan Paul, his brother, just had one of the, the biggest moments at the Royal Rumble recently in the WWE. you like, you know, like I watched it and I got hype and I was like, these guys, who, who are they? I mean, I know who they are, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. they, they, they came up from, you know, the, 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 they are, they, to me, they show the possibility of or the potential of what's of what can be created if you really stick to it and offer something unique and interesting in, in the oh, era of right of youtube just one and, last um, thing it's Once like, you oh sorry sorry Clinton, just, go ahead. The, well what i love about the era of youtube for instance is that um, you know quote-unquote ordinary people become extraordinary when they're in their niche and talking about something what they're passionate about so now the floor is just wide open for everyone to come in and just start doing what they love and, and sharing it with the world it's really amazing
1: it is it is absolutely amazing and the challenge i think for for people like us and i i challenge you to this you know is there something you can start building that not only grows you clifton duncan but also gives an opportunity to other people who may be uh, less prominent at the moment or may, may you know is like uh obviously with your podcast you can give opportunities to people but creatively there's got to be There's got to be stuff for actors that can be done like um, uh, uh, Andrew Doyle, for example. He started with 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 a guy called Andy Shaw. They started Comedy Unleashed, which is a comedy night in London, which is not anti woke, but it's also not woke. Right. Uh, And that gives an opportunity to comedians to get stage time and, and an opportunity to make to do jokes that they probably wouldn't be able to do elsewhere um, and this, th- there will be other things of that nature that are being built. I think we're right at the beginning of the next great wave of art and creativity and culture, uh, where, like you say, the the old institutions. I mean, it's so funny to me now because the institutions that never would have that would have actively discriminated against someone like me in the past. Not that I particularly cared about it, but like the BBC, they're now contacting me and I, I I'm on a break from stand-up, so I don't do stand-up anymore. They're now asking me to do stand-up on the BBC. Oh, and I'm sorry. like, I oh, sorry, I haven't got the time. But <laughs> but but that's what happens, right? When you go out there and you prove that there's an audience for what you do. And by the way, you're exactly right that the thing the internet allows, it is allows people who look not like I, for example, never felt entirely. Uh, as we say in Russian, in my on my play, as an entirely like snugly fit in stand up comedy, it was never quite the right thing for me because mm. I was less interested in comedy. I was much more interested in satire and, and talking about political events with a comedic twist. That was always something that appealed to me, and I was always much more interested in ideas than stories. And if you want to be a good comedian, stand up comedian, you probably want to be more interested in stories than ideas because stories make for better content, right? Um, but What we do now with trigonometry, uh, it's a perfect combination because uh, Francis and I do interviews and that feeds my interest in ideas. And we, of course, occasionally make jokes, but we also do three nights a week. We do what we call a raw show, which is him and I just joking about whatever's happening in the news. And it's much more political and we're feeding off each other. And he has a much more stand up comedian's brain. And I have a much more sort of political satire brain and that works incredibly well together. So I've actually found something that is a much better fit for me than the career I was doing before. And I was doing okay with stand up. you know, I was making progress for the number of years I'd been doing it. It was going great, but I am so much more fulfilled and happy with what I'm doing now. And by the way, I'm doing it in front of way more people, (laughs) which is always much more fulfilling as well. So I think the creativity, uh, there's never been a better time to be creative uh, but it also means you know you have to be a little bit more uh, you have to have a slightly different approach in the past you know you could train as an actor and the institutions were there to pick you up and give you the roles and you could go and act now it's a little bit more difficult same with stand up in the past you could just be a good stand up you do the circuit for 10 years someone puts you on tv you sell out your tour And you live happily ever after, doing a tour a year, doing the circuit. Nowadays, the circuit is dying. The circuit has been dying the entire time that I've been a stand-up comedian. And it's dying for a number of reasons. One of them is, of course, the fact that, you know, everybody's hypersensitive now. And it's the people at the bottom of the ladder that are being affected. If you're Bill Burr or Ricky Gervais or Joe Rogan, you don't give a shit about woke people having a meltdown it helps you but if you're a, a lowly comedian with no name and no social media and someone in the audience goes to the comedy club owner and says i don't want you to book this guy anymore that's a very different situation right uh but the my point is it's it's really not the way forward anyway like the entirety of your audience is online. And so you've got to find a way to reach them. And that's what I've always said to people. So I think we're in a very exciting time. And because we're in an exciting time for creative people, it means inevitably there is going to be a counterwave creatively to everything that's been going on. And the comedy, And movies and whatever of the future is actually going to be incredibly daring, I think, and is going to be pushing very strongly back against the dogmas of our day, because that's what our heroes did. You know, the Bill Hicks and the George Carlins. it's not like they were having an easy time and everybody was opening every door for them. That's not how it worked at all. You know, they were having a very difficult time. I mean, I always say this, you know, Bill Hicks, um, his last letterman appearance was censored and not shown until long after he died. Uh, and it wasn't woke people shutting them down, by the way. It was the religious right. Uh, those mm-hmm. were the people of the day. So I just think we're dealing with a new religion uh, that is that is taking over the institutions and is able to hold them uh, to make everyone within them really scared. Uh, and the answer to that is more creativity. Uh, that, that, I think, is the thing that solves it. And I kind of look at, you know, trigonometry started five years ago in, in, in a dark basement of a comedy club with borrowed equipment and two comedians who had no money and didn't know what the hell they were doing. And uh, to give you an example of what I mean by this, uh, Fran- when I said to Francis, let's do a, sh- a podcast on a YouTube show, he was like, OK, cool, we're going to need a producer. And I said, what for? Like that's, (laughs) that's how little we knew. Right. But we had an idea and we went for it. And I just, I see that all around me. Now I see people crushing it, you know, Ryan Long over in New York, brilliant comic, him and Danny have created this great podcast and he's doing it. Tyler Fisher's creating amazing content. You know, the, you know, uh, Andrew Schultz obviously is absolutely crushed it and he had to work his way up to do that in comedy. It's happening and it'll be happening in other creative fields. So, I think it's all up for grabs, man. And people should be excited about the opportunities in front of them.
0: Yeah, totally. There's nothing there that uh, there are no lies detected, as they say. (laughs) Um, I I had a a teacher who once uh, said, create, don't wait. And this is is one thing that has sort of been bothering me in a way because – you know, we talk about culture war this and culture war that, but we but rarely, what gets discussed is, you know, the sort of art that these cultures are producing, and um, unless they're complaining about how bad it is. And part of it, you know, I look at uh, the entertainment industry, and part, you know, part of it is, there's such um, palpable hostility to anyone who has uh, any even slightly divergent beliefs um, from, uh, you know, far left orthodoxy. But at the same time, I also encounter, say, more conservative-minded people, just broadly speaking, who will say things like, um, "You know, it's a typical like, barring the the lack of wisdom in taking out exorbitant, you know, loans to study, you know, some arts degree, which is one of the things that I did, unfortunately." Um, but people, you know, aren't trying to hear, "Oh, you're an artist." Well, you can apply your art by learning how to build couches or, you know, paint houses or something, you know, it's, it's, it's the practicality there. And then in the, in the broader discussions about, uh, you know, policy and economics and legislation, I think what gets kind of lost in the fold is, um, how important, uh, art and culture is. And that's been my big frustration, probably one of the mm. things that I want to, to more, to bring, to forth, to bring more into you know, whatever this space is. And, you know, I just I'm just kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying now, like now, you know, I, I think part of a well-rounded life, and this is, I think, part of creating a vision of a positive future for people, um, whether you're woke or anti-woke, is, you know, is finding an outlet for your creativity. Um, mm-hmm. I find oftentimes on maybe in more right-leaning spaces, I don't know if you see this as well, but there's sort of an aversion to anything creative, an, an aversion to anything that's artistic. and uh, But then they turn around and say, well, my kids are watching these these cartoons that are awful it's like well you got to get some skin in the game man you, mm-hmm. you know you, you have to create your own work and like you, you know like you said you don't want to see like a, an anti-crt movie just you know but make good stuff that has classic universal human values that you would want your kids to watch um you know make the comic books uh, eric july actually did the same did this and make the comic books that you want to see and with movies and, and plays a bit more difficult because so many more pieces have to mm-hmm. fall in line but the positive news there is that you know I'm I'm in contact with lots of people, Broadway caliber people, and 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 elsewhere who are saying I'm sick of this stuff. Let's try and build something, build something new. So, you know, I think I guess my my, my broader point is that I, I would hope that um, going off of what you were saying, you know, it's there's never been a greater time to to be creative and to indulge your creativity Mm -hmm. and part of a healthy society I think is one that is also creative no you're not digging ditches or you're building bridges or furniture or you know you're you're not necessarily producing anything that's of what's the term I'm looking for like a a quantifiable value maybe right right a tangible value but there is something to be said about expressing yourself and 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 uh, and the richness of of soul and imagination and intellect that 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 all goes into creating things and I think more mm. people need to really be be on that wavelength um, going forward as well and there's never been a better time to be on that wavelength.
1: Well, I agree with you. Although not to be old Petersonian about it, but Jordan would tell you that conservative people they score less lower on 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 the qualities on the traits rather that predict creativity I so well, I'm, not what, re- this,
0: I'm cutting in real quick it's funny because i took one of his personality tests and this is why mm-hmm. i stick to the label liberal because of my constitution and my makeup that's sort of just where i where i go so i always laugh and people are like oh you're more conservative i'm like no nah, not really <laughs>
1: Not quite. Not quite. I know. And this is why, I, you know, this is him when he had me on the show. This is what I was we were talking about. I actually, I'm afraid, don't think conservatives have the answer to this particular cultural issue because they they they're, Mm. they're just not creative enough temperamentally. They're very, very good at other things. Very like if you need someone to run your creative organization, that's the thing you get a conservative they will they will make the money side of it work they will make you know people do their jobs and you need that That, that's really important absolutely but you need people like you and i who are sort of you know politically non-binary as i now like to call it (laughs) Um, you know who, who who are not sort of in bed with all this radical leftist shit who are naturally contrarian to some extent and are against large movements of herds walking off cliffs which i think is what we are doing um and who nonetheless have a creative instinct and believe in making things that are are creative like that and as you say we are now at a point i don't think we were there five years ago because everyone was trying to work out what the hell is going on well we're now at a point where someone like you and someone like me i mean i get contacted every day by people who've got ideas and money and, and things projects they want to make real um <laughs> And we are now at a point where it's starting to become possible as we build our own profiles and our own institutions is not just about uh, initially, I thought we just have to show people the way I now I think it's more than that. There's actually things we can build uh, media organizations, entertainment organizations. These things are coming and I see them coming in the pipeline very soon. Uh, so it's, it's a great time. And now the question is, what, what is it that OK, the gatekeepers are out of your way. What do you want to do? Right. What do you want to create? What is the art of the future look like? And I am willing to bet you a lot of money, Clifton, that if you made a movie. That somehow presented an archetypical story of some kind, but that embedded within it, rather than artificial diversity, actually people of different groups coming together to solve a problem coming together to achieve something, working together to overcome the the initial biases, which we all have, right? And that that would be a movie, if it was well-made, that would get Im- immense traction with the public, who are very, very tired of all this divisive crap, who don't want to hear that they, they need to be wary of their white neighbor or the black neighbor or whatever, who'd actually just quite like to get on with their life and be friends with Jack, not the black guy next door, but Jack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a huge market out there for that. And it, it applies to almost everything else. And by the way, you know, uh, we found this with trigonometry. We've never employed somebody who hasn't contacted us and said, could, we, could I please work for you? We've never, ever, and would never consider employing people because of their identity. And yet we have an incredible mix of people from all over the place, people of different sexualities, ethnicities, we we have, you know, we've talked a hell of a lot on trigonometry about the trans issue. We have two trans people working for us, or rather one person with gender dysphoria and one person who's trans. Because we don't care and that's where most people are most people don't care don't right and I ju- they don't give a shit and i think that is the positive vision is like don't give a shit about these things right and let's see what we can create together what are you driven by what are you animated by what inspires you what is it that you want to add to the world and i think you know if, if people can unite around things like that there's incredible opportunities
0: absolutely you know and it, in, and before our conversation it, I, I thought about um, when I was talking to uh, Ignaz Solzhenitsyn and I nice. asked him a question, you know, first of all, I just wanted to know like, why? And, and uh, maybe I'll pose this to you as well. I said, you know, cause I, I've just, I'm stunned by, talking about just Russian culture and one of their biggest and you know talk about a a healthy powerful culture I mean the Russian art from from music to painting to literature um I don't know if it's healthy
1: but but it's good yeah well but but but, you know but but
0: I know what you mean but you know I'm 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 not speaking very carefully but or as I as I I was just joking but but I but I said gosh you know first I asked him like why do you think um the the, the the culture of that country has produced so many fantastic and enduring artists and then i asked him after that i said you know well do you think that the russian art scene which has this you know it's such a rich such a rich rich history do you think it's recovered since you know the stalin era and he said no without really missing a beat and so that's when i really my hackles kind of went up and i was like uh, uh i more people need to be on this because um you know it it it's i don't know what your sense of it is but uh, to to hear someone like uh, like ignat solzhenitsyn say that the russian art has never recovered from the from the totalitarianism um is very chilling to me uh, do you do you agree with his assessment at all
1: it's hmm. a really interesting question i think he's right i i think the truth of it is clifton is quite complicated because i think for certainly for russian culture suffering and oppression have been a key ingredient in that mix uh and many of the works of literature for example that we now think about are a product of of the terrible circumstances in which those people lived and many of the people who lived during the Stalin era and the amazing work that they created then was a product of that um But no, I I don't think it's fully recovered. Uh, And I mean, it makes sense if you kill off all the creative people who who dare to speak the truth, you're probably going to, and disincentivize all the others from speaking, you're going to create a society in which that's difficult. And this is the thing that I always try to remind people of in the West when people say to me, well, you know, there's so much censorship and there's so much this. And I go, "I, I, I agree with you. We do live in a time that compared to my child is incredibly restrictive about what people can and can't say. However... We're not being burnt in the sta- at the stake. We're not being put in the gulag. We're not being shot in the back of the head, right? These things are not happening. And that means, combined with the power of the internet, not only are you still alive, you actually have access to a, a medium of communication that allows you to reach billions of people, literally billions of people. So I think we're in a very different place. And uh, as long as we have access to these things, which for now we do, Uh, We have an enormous opportunity. And by the way, you know, this is where uh, I think the Andrew Breitbart statement of politics being downstream of culture is absolutely right. That's why I've always, you know, people say to me, particularly after my Oxford debate speech, you know, Constantine, I think you should run for parliament. I think you should be a politician. I'm (laughs) like, are you fucking crazy? (laughs) First of all, I used to be a comedian who used to tell relatively controversial jokes. So they will take each one of those and pretend I meant it literally. But also, I have way more influence in terms of the things that I would like to see in the world as a cultural commentator and YouTube host than I do as a backwater member of parliament for some place that I've never heard of. Like... So culture is very, very important. And I think people sometimes, you know, coming back to your point earlier about art and creativity, people don't realize how important it is. Like the stuff that your kids watch uh, culturally is going to determine to a very significant extent how they think about the world. So uh, there's, there's, there's there's a whole load of things that we can do on that front. And I'm excited about the future, man.
0: So then that leads me to my last question. It's a nice little uh, segue in a sense that, uh, that I ask everybody is that what do you think now is the role of artists and entertainers um, in our current epoch?
1: I think it's the same that it's ever been, Clifton, which is a combination of two things. One is to entertain and the other one is to use lies to tell the truth. That's the job of entertainment, true entertainment, really. You know, of course, you can do the clown show and and just, you know, talk about how fat you are and make jokes about that. And that's fine. I mean, you couldn't do it because you're in incredible shape. But you, you know what I mean? <laughs> you you can you can make the you can just be entertaining. Or I think the job of a true artist and has always been of a true artist is to use your art to tell the truth, uh, to highlight certain things in society that are going wrong, to basically say. Look, guys, the emperor is naked and I can see it. You know, I can see his massive feminine dick staring me in the face and I'm not on board with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, and, and, and that's, see, people think that I, I mean, look, the, the trans issue is an issue I do care about for like 53 different reasons. But one of the main ones is I object to the ramming down of lies lies being rammed down my throat and being forced to to admit things that aren't true precisely because I think it's our job to go, excuse me, no, no, no I, I can see it, it's right there you're trying to put a trans <laughs> you're trying to put a male <laughs> rapist in a prison with women, no, no, no it's not okay, you know what I mean and I think, you know we have a clip on our channel talking about this issue, me and Francis, just like improvised eight minutes of comedy about this one case, it's done like 200,000 views and that's because people want to laugh at the ridiculousness of it because they recognize the ridiculousness of it. And I think that's really a lot of the job of art uh, and and comedy and and all of these things in the modern era as it has ever been is, is to tell the truth in the face of people who want you to pretend to believe things you don't believe.
0: Well, it reminds me of um, what Isidore Schneider wrote back in, maybe 1943 or something, but uh, you wrote nothing needs to be politically correct as long as it's true. Um, So these are not new battles that we're fighting right now. Um, Friends, his name is Constantine Kissin. His new best-selling book, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West uh, comes out in a paperback really soon, doesn't it?
1: It does. It's already out. Uh, You can pre-order the paperback. um, And yeah, I'd I'd love for people to read it because I tried to lay out some of these things in it. And uh, the most important thing I tried to remind people of is just how, Incredibly lucky we all are to be living in the West and to enjoy the privileges that we do, um, and i give some examples of how things aren't like that elsewhere, which I think illustrate the point rather well. And it's a it's an entertaining and hopefully funny book that people have enjoyed. So I'd love for people to read more of it.
0: Uh, well, we are lucky to be in the West. I am lucky to call you a friend, and I think we are all lucky. Uh, that we have your voice and your ideas and uh, your sensibility to keep us all uh, on the straight and narrow, uh, so to speak. Uh, Right back at you, my brother. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for joining me today, man.